Welcome to The Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Now here's your Lighthouse Council host. Hi, and welcome to The Beacon podcast, your connection to nonprofit success. I'm Joan Bonner, Senior Consultant at Lighthouse Council and your host for today's discussion on diversity and inclusion in university advancement. Joining us today is Matthew Winston, former Senior Associate Vice President for Alumni Relations at Virginia Tech. Prior to overseeing Virginia Tech's alumni engagement programs, Office of Special Events and the Alumni Center, Matt served as assistant to the president at the University of Georgia. There, he provided counsel to university leadership and served as acting director of the university's Office of Institutional Diversity. Matt is an active member of the Council for Advancement and Supportive Education, probably better known as CASE, and formerly served as CASE International Board of Trustees, CASE's Commission on Communication and Marketing, as well as the CASE Faculty Chair of the Minority Advancement Institute. He has received several awards and honors for his service, including influential black alumnus from Virginia Tech, the Case District Three Distinguished Service Award, as well as the Case District Three Professional Development Award. Matt, thank you for joining us today on the Beacon Podcast. We're absolutely excited to have you with us. Oh, well, thank you, Joan. It's it's good to be with you, and I look forward to whatever conversation we're about to have. So I'm a great admirer of yours, as you know, and certainly I know how much you've done and contributed to this noble profession of advancement. So to share some thoughts with you and get some thoughts back from you will be a real treat for me. Absolutely. Matt, what areas in advancement typically fall short when thinking about diversity and inclusion? And how can they be improved? Well, the complexities of that answer to that question really could lend itself to a doctoral dissertation or a (laughs) 3,000 level college course because the issues are just so complex. But I'll I'll give it a shot. And the recommendations I probably will share are probably going to sound really basic, I'm sure, Mm -hmm. probably very elementary. Mm -hmm. And in fact, they are to be honest. But in the end, they are just fundamental tried and true practices of our profession. But you would be surprised at how many schools are just not doing this stuff. They are not applying general advancement principles to the diversity, equity, and inclusiveness spaces on their campuses. Advancement operations in higher education generally find themselves late in the game of promoting diversity, equity, and inclusion, when in fact, they should be leading the fight. Why do I say that? I say that because of what I call the intergenerationality of the audiences that advancement professionals have to engage. Admissions officers, they manage entering students. And the student affairs and the faculty professionals, and even athletic coaches, they manage the students who are sitting right in front of them for four or five years. But advancement teams engage all of them before, during, and then long after their students on our campuses. And they can be students who just turned 21 years of age, or they can be 101 years old at any point in between. And it's our job as advancement professionals to touch and engage and inform every single one of them in some way that is meaningful to them and to the institution. 
that so many of our institutions are struggling with or grappling with the dynamics of the modern concepts of diversity and inclusiveness. And frankly, some of them are still working their way out of the older concepts of diversity and inclusiveness. And all of them find themselves on a different maturity point along that continuum. Now, don't get me wrong, many schools have made great strides and they're farther along on the continuum than others. Perhaps they have cultural centers or buildings named after pioneering students of color or gender on their campuses. Maybe there's a lecture series or a scholarship named after such a pioneer, or maybe they have a dedicated plot of land that celebrates a heritage of native and indigenous people on the property on which the institution sits. But even those successful institutions are just getting there in recent years, despite the fact that they've been integrated or they've diversified 50, 60, 75 years ago. They are just now celebrating firsts, you know, the first black this or the first female that and so on and so forth. They are just now also confronting the problematic portions of their histories at these institutions. And they're doing so against that generational backdrop that I talked about. As the university grows, their opinions are up and down the age and experience scale, and they differ. But for some institutions, and here it really gets to what you asked me, diversity progress is still defined at the very elementary level. It's an important level, but it's a very elementary level of enrolling students of color and and historical difference. How many students of that particular group do we have enrolled this year? And the solution to that problem in their mind is scholarships. Let's just bring in the fundraisers and raise some scholarship dollars and all of our problems in diversity will be solved. That's sort of what happens. And they get stuck in that mindset, not truly understanding that all of the other factors associated with campus culture, career placement, pedagogy, location, reputation, faculty representation, just to name a few, have an impact on what these campus cultures look like. That's a whole nother topic for a whole nother podcast. Maybe we'll do that another day. But to find scholarship dollars for from the very audience of alumni who felt marginalized in the first place. And then they get frustrated when they experience little success. And I always attribute those shortcomings to a narrow view of the role of advancement and the role that advancement teams play in being a part of the campus culture and helping address institutional diversity challenges. It's always interpreted by the campus community and the advancement teams themselves, quite frankly, as a problem with only a financial solution. And often that does not utilize this full set of resources and skills of the other members of the advancement team, particularly the communicators and the alumni engagement groups to engage and find ways and solutions to what really is a systemic issue like this one. Those schools that have more success are ones that build a structure and a plan around diversity and inclusiveness that is both externally focused and internally focused. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. But building a holistic advancement strategy, a holistic advancement strategy around diversity and inclusion goals is part one of where that success will come from. And by holistic, I mean one that intently and intensively engages every single arm of advancement and not just the fundraisers. You know, I know exactly what you're talking about. When I took the chairmanship of District 3, someone asked me, how do you get minorities involved? And it's quite simple. And I said that. I said, do you ask them? That's right. What you need to do is ask them. And that's why when I chaired it, 
I involved a lot of minority people of color and no one turned me down, not a soul. So therefore, what people don't realize is that it's not as complex as they think it is. If you would just involve people and let them say no, don't you not ask, let them be the one to say no. And more than likely, all of us are professionals at that point and all of us have some expertise. So more than likely they will say yes. It really is that simple. It is, it really is. Most people are waiting for the leaders to ask. So I understand exactly what you mean. It's no different than what we do all over advancement. We ask people who we target as our prospects to to serve on boards, and we ask them to write checks, and we ask them to come to events. So why can't we just extend that same practice to people of color and difference and and uniqueness and, and say, you know what, you are important to us as an institution. You know, what you've done is important, and we want to invite you, and that's all people want to do is be invited. People want mm-hmm. to be invited to the party, and they generally, yeah. like you said, will say yeah. yes. And speaking of fundraising, we sometimes think, even a people of color think, that we don't give as much as, let's say, those that are not of color. That isn't true. The Kellogg Foundation did a study on giving and actually percentage-wise and comparatively speaking, African-Americans give more than any other group in the country. Right. You know, I've got my whole theory about why the church is so successful in garnering the dollars from people of color, particularly Black Americans. And it's very simple. And the practice that they do at the church is exactly the same thing that we should be doing in higher education. And that is, you just build the habit. And I always tell the story... When I was young, I can remember as young as I can remember myself being, I don't know whether that was three or four years old, but when you went to church every Sunday, you know, my mother or my grandmother would put a nickel in my hand. And when they passed the plate, I put my nickel in the hand and I was learning that mechanic and that habit of giving to the church every Sunday. And as I got older, you know, the the nickel turned into a dime or a quarter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I I think I can give a little bit more than a shekel or two today. Mm -hmm. But it's not out of some heavily leaning toward the philosophy of a church more than it is another philanthropy, whether it's a school or the Cancer Foundation or whatever that may be. It's that the church has done an incredibly good job of just building that habit and expectation that when you come to church on Sunday, you're going to put something in that pot. And Mm -hmm. if we do that, if we can build that same expectation on our college campuses, Mm -hmm. then I think we could be more successful and, and then stop making and accepting what is often used as an excuse as to why we can't raise money from Black Americans. You have many people who just throw their hands up and say, oh, well, Black people don't give to us. They only give to the church. Well, mm-hmm. That's because they have a strategy by, by which they've been asking. They've been asking you for money since you were three years old. Mm-hmm. Another issue is they don't direct their giving to what interests Black people. Right. You know, we're not entrepreneurs, not all of us, or have a lot of money, but there are things that we're interested in, projects that we're interested in, giving out food to those who don't have food. We have specific needs and others have to identify those needs because people give to people and then they should market whatever the needs are instead of asking them to give money to something they are not even 
aware of. Right. So that's the way I feel about it. So how can advancement professionals keep diversity and inclusion in mind when communicating on behalf of the university? That's actually a good question. And you know what? The answer actually may be hidden in the question. Mm -hmm. Here's the statement. Advancement professionals need to keep diversity and inclusiveness in their minds when communicating on behalf of the university. That's just Mm -hmm. that simple. Mm -hmm. And it might start with one remembering or realizing your audience is not as monolithic today as it was yesterday. It has more people of color and difference and more people of experience and more people of different orientations and age than ever before. And it will become more diverse with every graduating class that follows. The age thing is actually really interesting to me, and it's a challenge because of the differences in the way that people across generational strata receive and consume information. Some are more electronic than others, and some want paper, and some only want to see it on the new, you know, whatever that may be. I guess I could say it used to be that most of your alums fell between the age of 21 and 51. I don't know. Mm. But as life expectancies have stretched, it really is between 21 and then you've got people who are over 100 who, who are on your alumni roles. And so you have to communicate with all of them. Yeah. And I think I find that very interesting and a challenge. Also, I think every advancement professional should have a list in their pockets at all times of three to five diversity oriented projects that are in their sphere that they can talk about with any and every prospect or alum. That's exactly right. It can be related to something very specific, let's say within an academic unit. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be that one college is trying to raise particular mentorship support funds for a very small department, or it could be for a student group, or it could be for a very large institutional endeavor. So I think that everyone needs to always have those talking points in mind and realize it's their responsibility to keep those talking points. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I would say when it boils down to it, our work is all about telling stories, telling stories to our constituents and telling stories to one another. So, So then you have to ask yourself, what stories are we telling and promoting that celebrate and inform about our diversity pursuits and successes on our campuses. We find a way to incorporate, let's say our football team into every conversation possible during the fall and then the spring recruiting season for those of us who have a football team. So why can't we do the same with inclusiveness projects and and endeavors? If we're not doing that every day, then we're just doing this issue a disservice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. What advice or actionable steps do you have for a university advancement professional who is looking to improve diversity and inclusion at their institutions? I would say it it goes back to what I said about having a plan, being very strategic and helping your institution devise and support such a plan. What is your role as an advancement professional in developing and implementing an advancement strategy that addresses these diversity and inclusion issues? I always say that the plan needs to do a few things, and and you actually touched on a few of them. It needs to incorporate the entire division, first and foremost. That means there needs to be a communication, an engagement, and a fundraising plan. There need to be strategies, objectives, and goals that intentionally touch diverse audiences and support inclusion-related endeavors on campus, both of substance and symbolic. And that's what you were saying. These programs and projects need to be ones that are supported by the very alums that you're trying to reach, not something that you just throw out there and say, this is what you need to do. And you need to listen and say, hey, 
What's important to you as an alum of this experience and what would you support at our campuses? And so those are very important. Getting there, you need to have partnerships with the academic programs, student affairs programs and athletics even. Using the alums and using students to identify those needs that are around critical diversity initiatives. After you ID those needs, then you need to ID the audience. Pay strict attention to your underrepresented stakeholders. Steward them through an engagement matrix like you would any other major donor. Start them, for example, in their local chapter, local alumni chapter, and then do a small write-up in the college newsletter about their career. And then you ask them to maybe serve as a student mentor. Invite them to speak to a class or to a student group. Get them on a committee or a board. Invite them to a basketball game. Your major solicitation in the end of that might not be for money, but it might be for something that's even more valuable, and that is advocacy amongst their peers. Mm -hmm. That plan should also aggressively highlight the successes of your underrepresented alumni and hyper-recruit underrepresented alumni as volunteers on boards, committees, and in different programs. I think the plan also needs to look within as to how the division diversifies its own workforce in every space and advancement so as to reflect the profile of the students or reflect the profile that you want for your students. Our advancement offices just still aren't as diverse as they need to be. Cases research reveals that even today that only 12% of our advancement professionals come from underrepresented populations. That's across the board. That's including at HBCUs and Hispanic serving institutions and tribal institutions, when you look at all the people who have advancement in their career and their titles across higher education, people of color still only make up 12% of that population. And in building that workforce, I think your plan needs to look at the advancement structure, both centrally and then in support of key areas. Ask yourself, have you put together an apparatus around diversity priorities that have been successful around other priorities at the institution. And, and here's an example that I'll give. At Virginia Tech, we've got an entire advancement apparatus, a communications team, an alumni team, and fundraisers around our, our state-of-the-art art complex. We have a historic Corps of Cadets that has its own advancement apparatus. We have an advancement team for the, for the marching band. And so... You know, when I arrived at Virginia Tech, we began looking at that and looking at that in partnership with our chief diversity officer. And we were able to successfully argue that if diversity was as big a priority as the Corps of Cadets or the band or athletics, then it needs to have the same resource that all those others have. And that is an advancement team. Many advancement programs, they're just now or they recently have hired an, an alumni professional for multicultural programs. You know, they, they embed someone who looks at and focuses on multicultural programs in the alumni space, but they localize it to that and it never goes any further. We were actually very successful in hiring a person to be an advancement, a chief advancement officer for diversity and inclusion. And that person oversees the entire advancement profile projects around our diversity programs. And that's, I think that's a structure that I hope is going to grow at other institutions, but it's the kind of commitment that I think is needed to be successful holistically around diversity and inclusion. And finally, and this might be the most important thing about implementing this plan, in evaluating the success and measuring progress, there needs to be some understanding from above, from the top down, 
that this could be a mm-hmm. short-term adjustment with a long-term, long-range solution. And here's why I say that. Many fundraisers, for example, are hesitant to build a stewardship plan for, let's say, a young Hispanic graduate who now has an entry-level sales job at a car dealership. They feel that spending that kind of energy cuts their bottom line, cuts to their bottom line of raising money. But consider that that graduate was an influencer on campus and president of the student group during her career. That young person is also taking a gap year before going off to work for Teach for America and then returning to grad school to study educational policy. She won't give you $100,000 this decade, but she'll be key to recruiting students or she'll be your Latino alumni reunion chair in the year 2030, bringing back more former students back to your campus than ever before. It's a long range, long term investment that the powers from above need to understand might not get you that next quarter return, but the long range returns are going to pay off in big, big, big dividends, particularly mm-hmm. as your as your student body and then ultimately your alumni body becomes more diverse and spread out. And the last thing I'd say is, you know, take some personal inventory. Every individual should take some personal inventory. You know, ask yourself these questions. Are you diversifying your own engagement sphere? Are you encouraging engagement across the board and not just in one area of the advancement discipline? Meaning if you're a fundraiser, are you encouraging an alum of color to be very active in the local alumni chapter? Uh, that's an example of things that don't happen in a lot of institutions that I think would be would be very, very helpful. As an alumni professional, are you recommending and encouraging your alums of color to donate to the fund that supports the Black Cultural Center? You know, you need to do things sort of across your lane in order to be successful. Are you attending lectures and programs by different cultural and academic and social groups? Are you engaging diverse student groups? When you go to professional development conferences like CASE, do you choose breakout sessions that talk about challenges and best practices in this particular arena? Those are important steps I think advancement leaders and teams and individuals should consider as they embrace these new challenges and opportunities that lay before us in this space. It's really nothing new to me. It's nothing new to the advancement game and it's just applying time-honored traditions to what is still a growing area. I think you hit it on the nail. I think the more we explain to people that every area in your institution is a microcosm of institutional advancement, and I love the way you wove the three-legged stool, fundraising, alumni affairs, and communication. They are very intricately tied together. I think that most people think of each one of those areas as in and to itself, and it isn't, it's all integrated. And that is a wonderful way of looking at it. But in closing, Matt, I just want to say thank you for joining us today on the Beacon podcast. You've shared wonderful and important information and insight today. And my audience, please be sure to follow Matt on Twitter at VTMattWins and visit VT.edu to learn more about Virginia Tech. Again, Joan Bonner here. Thank you for listening to the Beacon Podcast, your connection to nonprofit success. Thanks for listening to the Beacon, your connection to nonprofit success. Tune in every week for nonprofit topics with special guest interviews. Suggest future topics and learn more about upcoming podcast and guest at lighthousecouncil.com.